0: And welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and chavruta Yerdana Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Megillah, Daf Yud Zion, page 17. And with page 17, we begin the second chapter of Masachet Megillah. We're going to start right in with that. We've got a mishnah that opens up the parak. Hakolre et Megillah lemafreya lo Who reads the Megillah? Lemafreya really means like backwards but in this case it's understood to mean out of order meaning that if though if you read a later section after before you read the earlier section and vice versa right meaning where if you jumped around loyatzai you have not fulfilled your obligation of reading the megillah this now we're talking about the holiday of purim of course kara karta targum lo if a person read the megillah by heart or if one read it in the targum in the Aramaic translation, which we've already discussed, or for that matter, in any other language, the person does not fulfill one's obligation. Um, so then uh, we'll explain what this means after the next line. But if somebody speaks a foreign language, meaning there's a lo azot, an actual a language, La'az stands for Lashon Amzar, meaning a language of a foreign nation, then you could read that Megillah in the foreign language, meaning if you understand the, the the language. So when it says here B'chol Lashon, meaning you could read it in the translation or in any language, we understand that to mean in any language that the listener or the reader for that matter does not understand. But if somebody who reads it in a La'az, in a foreign language where they do understand it, then then presumably that person or the mission says straight up that person would fulfill one's obligation and one who speaks a foreign language and then hears it written in ashurit meaning in the Hebrew reading from the from the scroll then you fulfill your obligation also meaning even if you don't understand the Hebrew but you do have a foreign language but you hear the Megillah in Hebrew you're fine if you understand a foreign language and you hear the Megillah in the foreign language also fine if you read the Megillah at intervals meaning you pause you break you come back or right? name or somebody is dozing yatsa. then you do ful, fulfill your obligation um under those circumstances now what about somebody who's writing a Megillah, meaning the literally doing the scribe scribal I, I don't know what the there must be a verb of this right to scribe or expounding on it, meaning you're, you're giving a drusha on it, or you're correcting it as you go, and you're reading those words as you go, then if you intended, right, this is about intent. We haven't talked about intent in some time your If you're talking about, if you intended to fulfill your obligation while you're doing these things, you're like fixing up the writing of it, for example, then you'll fulfill your obligation. And if you did not have that intent, then what you did doesn't count because that actually makes sense. Um, If you're reading from a Megillah that was written, and it wasn't written with ink, but it's written with sam or sikra or komos or kan kanotam, kan -kan right? These are all things that need better definitions, but there are different kinds of things that you could write with. I don't have good definitions for them. I literally, you know, when I look them up in a translation, it's they're translated to be the same sounds as the words. Dana, do you have a different translation?
1: Mm, no, I, I think the way you said it was
0: right. There are different kinds of ways to write, basically. Right. right. Um, yeah, yeah I think, think that's exactly right. the point. Like if I were talking about pencils and it's not, but if it were, I would say graphite and lead, right? That kind of thing or India ink or you know, whatever. So it's different kinds of ways of writing. I mean, of of materials with which to write. Material to write,
1: to write. exactly.
0: Al-Haniyar v'al-adaftra lo yatsa tuva al uviduyo. So again, if you read from a Megillah, and the Megillah was written not with ink, but with one of these other materials. Or you read from a Megillah that was not written on parchment, but it was written on, and this is great, on niyar, meaning in modern Hebrew, niyar means paper. So, but the fact is that there was a, a, a substance that was called niyar before paper was around as a substance to write on. Or on diphthera, which is a uh, kind of unprocessed leather, then you have not fulfilled your obligation. And you won't fulfill that obligation until you go back and you read that Megillah in, that's written in Hebrew and it's using the Hebrew script and it's written on parchment and it's written with ink. Meaning there are ways to do things and there are ways to do things and this is how you do Micra Megillah. That the, the substance of the Megillah actually matters in terms of the default of being uh, to fulfill one's obligation. Um, that's the Mishnah. The Gemara here... I mean, I would say you're actually, I'm willing to turn it over to you because as much as the Gemara, of course, gets into it here, it's not, it's not so much these details that we've just been talking about and it takes us much further afield into new other topics. So let's, I'm going to leave it to all our co-learners to bone up on this on their own and let's hand it over to you. Okay. So I'm going to jump
1: down to uh, Ahmed Bet, which gets into a very interesting discussion about the order of Shmona Esrei. Um, and this has to do with that we had, you know, there was a Brisa quoted that talked about that you can't say the prayer of the Amida, the Brachot of the Amida of the Shmona Esrei that we say three times a day, um, out of order. And so the Gemara basically asks tefillah, manalan, right? Like, how do we know this? Right? Detanya, De we learned it, a Brisa. Shimon haPakuli he's dear Shmona Asrei, Brachot, livene, rabban gamliel, al-haseder al- biyavna. Right. And so it's interesting. This isn't based on a pasuk or anything, because we know that the, uh, you know, Shmona Esrei is really sort of a rabbinic construct. Right. It's not from the Torah, the way that we, you know, sort of prayed or the service we did to God had to do with the Korba note. So the Shmona Esrei is something that comes later post-temple. And I think what's key here. Um, in this Brisa, is that, you know, it's something that was done in front of Reverend Gamliel, right? Who is the Nasi, who's in, you know, who's basically the, you know, the, the the head, the halakhic head of the Jewish people. Um, and also that it's specifically done in Yavna. This once is something that was, you know, codified or put into order in Yerushalayim. Um and I think that, you know, that that to me is like a very, very key piece. Now we should stop and do a little bit of a who's who. On Shimon HaPakoli, and one of the things that's interesting about him is is that he's actually not particularly well known. There's not a lot (laughs) of biographical uh, information, um, uh, you know, about him. Um, And so, uh, but I would encourage everybody: um, you should go back to um, the Gemara and Brachos in uh, Andaf Kavchet and Chavtet which also describes some of this as well, um, you know, that he sort of ordered um, the um, that he ordered the, uh, uh, the Shmona Esrei and then we know that Shmoa HaKatan came and he um, you know, he wrote the Lamal Shimin which is the 19th paracha, Um, but there's really not, you know, that much information about him and I think that's also interesting that of all the Tanayim that we have that we sort of have this you know, Tana, um, you know, uh, that we just don't know um, a a lot about. So,
0: yeah. I can Uh, just add in, we seem to know, or at least there seems to be some supposition, that his job had to do with either cloth or thread. And that comes from the word "peculi," peckle, I don't know, whatever that sometimes means some kind of bundle or package, which is understood to be about cloth or, as I said, thread. It's not much.
1: Right. Um, and so what's interesting also is, is that we do say that, you know, sort of Anche Knesset Dola wrote the Shmona Esrei or sort of, you know, formed prayer, but it's really not till we get to this, you know, Shimon HaPakoli, who really seems to have ordered it the way that it was supposed to be ordered. And we can imagine, you know, and as we always talk about sussing things out, I'm sure this took a long time to be sussed out, right? Like what the correct order was and how you made these brachot, because this truly was something really innovative. Um, and then we go on, Amma Rabbi Amri Bimatnina Tana, right? And Rabbi Yochanan said, right? Some say it was taught in a bright sah, Right? So this is the tradition that was really this 120 zakanim, which really is a term for Anshay Knesset Dola generally, which were supposed to be 120. But it's interesting, again, that they go first to the Shimon Hapakuli and not to the this second opinion here. And then the Gemara wants to actually explain, you know, what's the uh, order itself, right? Tanarabana, Minayim Shomrim Avot, right? How do we know that we say this blessing of the patriarchs, right? Shanemar, Habu Aleim. So here they go to Pasuk from Te'elim, chapter 29, verse 1, which says, like a to the Lord, mighty ones, right? And Minayim Shomrim right? And so, you know, from where do we know that that we're talking about, you know, sort of, mighty deed, right, ascribed to Hashem, you know, to Lord glory and strength, that's the next pasuk, and that's the continuation of that pasuk, in showed, right, and then how do we get to the bracha of Kedusha, so in other words, avot is habul Hashem b'nei right, the mighty ones, those would be the avot, then we get to Gvur, right, the bracha of, you know, where we say mashyeh baruch Right, habulashem kavod and then the next part, of uh, the next p- verse in that chapter, right, is you know how do we say kedushot, right, which is um, you know hakela kadosh, uh, right, that third um, uh, uh, the third blessing in the shmones. Habu habulashem kavod shemo So it's based on this parak of Tehillim, uh chapter 29, that we get that order of avos, gavuros, and kedushot. Right, umar ulamar Bina akhar Kedusha. Then, how do we get to this fourth bracha, the bracha of Bina, Right, so here they quote a pasuk from Yeshayahu. Um, right, that here the order is that you sanctify, right, they shall sanctify the holy one of Jacob and shall, rev- and shall revere um the the God of Israel. And the next one is smichle. Right, the next pasuk says v'yadu ruach bina. And that next word it says, and they also, uh, that erred in spirit shall come to understanding. Umar Then how do we get the next one, which is the bracha of Right, yavim lo. Right, because here they quote a different pasuk uh, in Yishayahu from a totally different parak. They will understand with their heart, so that's bina, repent, and then be healed. So then they basically want to ask, So then why isn't the bracha refua then right after teshuva? Right? So it says, you shouldn't think this because it says, and now they quote a separate passage from a separate chapter in Yeshayahu that says, and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion upon him and to our God, he, he meaning God will abundantly be Parting. So because teshuva is next to slicha, that's why the bracha of slicha actually comes back. Now, uh, you know, I could go on and read basically the rest of this entire daft. I'm not going to. But essentially what this daft does is it's going to bring different psukim. And based on this psukim, basically sort of give an order. The only one that they really don't give a pasuk for is the one of Rafua, right? And it says, umarau Mo refuah. So I'm skipping down. a Why is that the eighth bracha? Because the mitzvah circumcision was assigned to the eighth day of life, and it requires healing and therefore they made it into the eighth blessing. Um, but that one, interestingly, does not have a pasuk attached to it. So again, I think this is a great example of, you know, what is the purpose of these pasukim here, right? They, they, most of them really come from uh, Kituvim. Or Neviim. There's there's one that's from Baikra at one point. Um, but it's sort of, you know, is this really did they really look at these Sukim in order to get the order? Did they use the Pasukim later to justify the order? I, I'm not totally clear about that, but it's so elaborately written. You know, I do think there was actually some forethought. Like, I don't think it's just like, you know, Shimanat Bakuli just sort of ordered it. I mean, it's the explanations are very elaborate here.
0: I have another question, which maybe dovetails, or will maybe the same answer would answer both. Um, I'm curious about the placement of all of this discussion. We're going to see much more discussion of tfilah in Masechet Megillah, and I'm wondering if that's part of the Megillahs being like further removed from the Beit Hamikdash, right? We've seen so much in all of these Masechet to, to this point, maybe less so in Brachot, but right, we've seen so much discussion. Of what goes on in the Beit Megdash, Even you know holidays that we celebrate without the Beit Hamikdash, and here, Megillah isn't a, a temple kind of holiday, right? It can't be, and I've I, I've completely made this up. Meaning, I'm completely speculating here. If that's why the Tefillah topics that are about how do we pray in the absence of a Beit Hamikdash are found in the Megillah. I it also could just be liturgy, but I, I'm, I'm curious about it. And maybe that's why there's so much investigation of Sukim here to say, like, we are serious about this. We don't have a temple, but we're taking this job of, well, of fixing Shilah in a really serious way.
1: So I think that's true. But the Gemara in the next stop, and I guess this is a sneak peek for tomorrow, <laughs> gives an answer. And in the middle of, of, of Yudachet Amunaleh, after concludes the whole order, of all of the Shimon Asrei, it says the following, So it said, wait, we had this brisa that told us that it was the 120 elders, including prophets who established the Amita prayer. Now notice, on the previous daf, you know, our daf today, on Zion, that's not the order it's taught in. First they bring down the Shimon Hapakuli, then they bring down the brisa about the 120. But here they're starting with the 120. So it says, okay, we had this at 120 with some Neviim. They made the Seder. Shimon Apakuli, has ceased there. So they're asking, what did Shimon Apakuli do so many hundreds of years later in front of Rabban Gamliel, right? We have this like no name Tana. What is it that he's done? And the Gemara interesting says, uh, they actually were forgotten. And he basically had to come and sort of remind everybody or rearrange them again. Um, and so, you know, I think it's interesting that even something that sort of was like a, you know, it's not, you know, on the one hand, when they're saying it's the the prophets, and this 120, that actually makes it pre-temple, pre-destruction of temple, I should say, right? Um, and it must have been that maybe this was something that you sort of like said, if you wanted to say it, but you didn't have to say it, because you sort of still had the avoda, right? Like, it's not totally clear to me what was the goal of Anshei Knesset Adola in the time of Nevi'im sort of making this Shemona Esrei. But I think this little line here in the Gemara that somehow, you know, it's, it's just three words, shechachum they were forgotten, and then he comes and he arranges them again. So, uh, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, Anne, about it, that it's a way of showing that they're taking it seriously, and maybe that's because it was forgotten, and so they sort of had to go back to sort of recreate a narrative so that it would never be forgotten again. Because once you could justify the order, not just what the contents of the brachot were, but that the order itself mattered, then it wouldn't be forgotten again.
0: Or, you know, like the most far-flung thing I can say, I guess, is perhaps this is the asmachta, right? This is the giving of authority to to the need of establishing the tefillah when they needed to establish it later, the easiest way to make sure that you, that everybody trusts it, right. Is to say, right. Meaning we used to know this and now, or maybe they had like some bare bones of it back in the day. And now they're fleshing it out fully. I Meaning there's a lot of, we could speculate here all day.
1: But is that Brysa talking about the 120 Nevi'im? Is that also like Chazal's need to sort of connect it? something right, that's- much farther, right? It's like they need to connect it much farther up than the Missower chain. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Frank is reviews and all major podcasts. Thank you to revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the DAP and our Talking Talent Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.